eternal father how great you are more than words can express more than the human tongue can tell we're grateful dear lord to come together under this roof lord coming under the banner the ensign of the cross washed in his blood sealed by the spirit our shoes are on our feet our staff is in our hand eating the lamb waiting for marching orders God, our hearts are ready under anticipation. Our souls, Lord, are thirsting for your return. Bless us, Lord, in your presence. Bless our efforts as we gather together in obedience, Lord, in your service. At our post of duty as we gather together in faith, just as they did in Goshen, making ready for your return. God, I pray in Jesus' name that there will be none here lacking. But, Lord, that everything that would beset us, anything that would hinder us, would just be pushed away, dealt with, washed away. Our hearts ready under anticipation for the leaving, for the exodus. Father, we love you. We welcome you here. We ask that you bless our efforts. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight. It's good to be with you. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. Acts chapter 17, and then we'll go to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Acts chapter 17. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. Everybody find their places. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph, and the same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus. Everyone love the Lord. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. 2.23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried... And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groanings. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. I want to preach tonight on I have heard their cry, and I have remembered my promise. May God bless the reading of his words. You can have your seats. Verse 24. 
We know very well that there is three exoduses in the Bible, three major exoduses. In the first exodus, God was calling a nation out of a nation. God was calling Israel out of Egypt. <clears throat> and then the second exodus, God was calling a spiritual people out of a natural people. God was calling a spiritual Israel out of a natural Israel. And in the third, God is calling a bride out of a church, and he's calling a church, a bride, out of the earth. And the word exodus means the calling out. The calling out or, or, the, uh, or the leaving or the, the going out. And we are in the season of the third exodus. We are living in the last day where God is calling a people out of the earth and out of the church systems. And this is a season for God to fulfill that particular promise that he promised. How many believe that? In, in the days of the first exodus, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would deliver the children of Israel with a mighty hand. And of course, it was 430 years from that promise before they came out and fulfilled the promise. See, God has seasons that he works. God has seasons and times that he fulfills his word and he fulfills his promise. And it's necessary for a believer not to try to get God to fit his program, but for us to yield ourselves to the spirit that we might fulfill God's program. And God has a season to fulfill that program. God has a season to fulfill that word. Can you say amen? And so it's important that we find the element of time that God is working with. Is God, there's a time to plant. There's a time to plow. There's a time of spring rains. There's a time of summer drought. And there's a time of harvest. And there's a time of winter rains and so on and so forth. And we could never sow our seed in the winter time. Because it wouldn't work right. It would rot. It'd be a good seed, but because the time is wrong, it would not work out at all. You've got to sow your seed in the time to sow your seed. Can you say amen? And so there are preparation times of redemption. There are visitation times throughout history of God. There are times of revivals. There are times of judgment. And there are seasons of redemption. Can you say amen? And Brother Branham said that God has a prophetic clock. And that prophetic clock... There is a time for revival. There is a time for God to fulfill his purpose at particular times. And we must find that time. Right. Amen. Amen. And so God has a portion of the word that must be fulfilled in its dispensation. God has promises. For instance, the Messiah, he said he would come. It took 4,000 years before he came. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and nothing is out of cater. Everything is just according to time. Everything God predestinates, everything God foreordains to happen will happen. Nothing is out of cater. 
Everything is clicking just like a clock. And the cogs of God's prophecy turn slow, but they turn short. How many believe God's promises are good? Because his word is forever settled in heaven. Everything is right on schedule. God will come just like he said he will come. It won't be according to our thinking, but it will be according to prophecy exactly like God said. And we got to find our part in God's plan. How many say, Lord, I want to know my part? You've got to play your part. It's not our job to make it happen. It's our job to play our part. And faith waits patiently for God to fulfill his purpose. Israel had to wait. What were they waiting for? They were waiting for the cup of the Amorites to get full before God could be just and bring judgment upon Egypt. The cup wasn't full, and so they had to wait. And Exodus was a waiting time. How many are waiting for the coming of the Lord? And that's where we just got to hold, got to watch, got to remain faithful. And it might seem like a million miles away, but it'll be here. It'll be here just exactly like God said. And it's, it'll develop like a picture. How many remember the old Polaroids? You take a picture and it's all black and then just give it a little time and then all of a sudden you see an outline and all of a sudden it just starts taking form and you see all the features, all the dimensions and then all of a sudden it's a perfect picture. And that's exactly like prophecy. It'll go for a long time but all of a sudden everything will start taking form and then it's here and you're caught right in the picture of redemption. Remember the vision Brother Branham told to Bud Southwick and Ed Biscoe, 1961, he saw a vision. He was going to kill a caribou, and then he saw in this vision that he was going to kill a silver-tipped grizzly bear, and then it was fulfilled in September of 1961. But Brother Branham said he was telling Bud Southwick about this vision, and he said, in this vision... He said, I saw a deer, and he said it had spikes on it. Brother Bud said, oh, Brother Branham, where we're going is high country. There's no deer up there. And he said, well, and it had spikes. He said, never seen an animal like it. He goes, then I killed a, a silver-tipped grizzly bear. He said, I've been here all my life, and I've never seen a silver-tipped grizzly. Brother Branham said, but it's thus saith the Lord. And he said, in the vision, I saw a man with a green checkered shirt. He said, does anyone here have a green checkered shirt? Nope. None of us got a green checkered shirt. Don't look like it's going to fulfill the vision. Brother Branham said, but it's thus saith the Lord. And so three days later, they pack up and they go into high country, way out of the timber lines, way up into the mountains. Brother Branham is up there with Bud Southwick, and he looks through his glasses, and he sees the animal that he saw in the vision because it started to take form. Brother Branham said, that's the animal. And then they looked down, and they saw Brother Ed Biscoe down hunting, stalking an animal, and he's, he's wearing a green checkered shirt. Brother Branham said he fell into the river. He went into his tent, opened up his bag, and he told his wife to throw that green checkered shirt away. 
And instead of doing that, she sewed it up and she put it in the bag and packed it with him. And, you know, I've been privileged to hear the story personally. And he was aggravated when he looked at the shirt. He said, because I told her to throw it away. And watch how God slips the vision right in. And because of a moment of frustration or whatever it was, he doesn't recognize that this is the shirt that was in the vision that was told him. And so he puts it on because he fell in the water. He fell in the water because he had to have that green shirt on. (laughs) You love the Lord. And so Brother Branham said that he killed the animal, took its horns, but Southwick looks and said, did you say that these horns are 42 inches long? He said, it's thus saith the Lord. He said, they look like they're 100 inches long. Brother Branham said, it's 42 on the dot. And he said, now, Brother Branham, did you say between here and camp, we're going to kill a mammoth silver-tipped grizzly? Brother Branham said, that's exactly right. He said, there was no timbers. They could see for miles. And as they were approaching the camp, he said, Brother Branham, shouldn't that bear be getting here? He said, but it'll be there. He said, when? He said, I don't know. But the vision said, it will be there. He said, they packed a little while longer. He said, shouldn't that bear be getting here? He said, you're doubting it, bud. He goes, I'm not, Brother Branham. I just don't understand. Brother Branham said, neither do I. But God said so. They're getting up a little bit closer. And all of a sudden, Brother Branham looks on the hill. He said, what is it, bud? And he said, that's either someone's milk cow. He said, that ain't, that ain't the case. We're way out in the wilderness, so help me. It's a silver, he said, it's a grizzly, and with the sun shining on its back, so help me, it's a silver tip. Because God promised, and it was going to be there. And it took form, little by little, it took form and developed like a picture. And that's exactly what happened in the days of the first exodus, when the time of the promise drew nigh. Things begin to move different. All the sudden things begin to fall into their predestinated positions. How many knows we're in the season of the Exodus? And when the time was drawing near, things began to heap up. And there rose a, a leader that did not know the blessings of Joseph. And then he began to put pressure upon the children of Israel and started treating the Hebrews like dogs. They were under bitter bondage, and God allowed it to happen. Because when they came under bondage, they began to cry out to God. Didn't you say you would deliver us? Didn't you promise, Lord, you would deliver us? You know, it's hard to be spiritual when you're comfortable. But you know, when you get pressure, it brings the best out of you. You are what you are, not when you're fat and sassy. You are what you are under pressure. And when you pressure comes, if you've got faith, faith will come out. If you've got unbelief, unbelief will come out. God sends tests and trials not to harm us, but to show us what's in us. Can you say amen? 
And so just at the time that the picture begins to develop and the promise is drawing near, Satan raises his ugly head. And he begins to wage war with the children of Israel. A decree goes forth to kill all the children. And I want you to notice in the Exodus, prayer was a vital part of the conditions of the Exodus. And when you see the promise drawing near, it causes the people to hunger, to thirst, and to cry to God, send your deliverance, send your promise. Brother Branham told the story of Amram how Amram began to pray and it was Amram's faithful prayers that actually brought Moses the proper child. And Brother Branham said, Amram prayed scripturally. He wasn't praying randomly or selfishly, but he was praying scripturally. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you gave a promise, Lord. And he began to pray the promise. And when he cried to God, God began to remember his promise. And when they got to praying according to the will of God, God got his deliverer ready. When he got the people in harmony with the word, then God sent the word. You can't pray outside the will of God. You must pray the will of God. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. Everybody love the Lord. 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything, say anything, anything according to his will, he heareth us. See, in order to get your prayers answered, you must pray the will of God. And the will of God is the word of God. And when you pray the word of God, then it brings God to remember his promise. God promised healing, and healing is God's will to heal. It's God's will to save. It's God's will to deliver. It's God's will to give our families. And when we pray God's will, God hears. He hears the cries of his people, and he sends forth his promise. So in order to understand how to pray, you must understand the will of God. Then you must plead the promises of God. I'm quoting you now. We've got to plead the promises of the Bible, and we must know the plan of God for the age. Praying through, holding on, Brother Branham said, till we receive an absolute. And when we receive an absolute which is the word of promise, then you tie your soul to that word of promise and you begin to call until God sends it. Once you realize by the revelation of the will of God, it becomes an absolute. You sow your heart into it. 
God, you promised me the Holy Ghost. You promised me joy. You promised me peace. You promised me salvation. And you hold to it until. How many love the Lord? And so revelation, notice, the revelation of redemption comes at a particular time. And more particularly, the time when you begin praying the promises of God for the hour that you live. Amram began to call upon the God of Abraham because he knew that the God of Abraham was the one true living God. He knew the God of Abraham was a God of mercy and a God of justice and a God of power. The problem is, what good does the God of Abraham do you if he ain't yours? So the problem with the God of Abraham is that's a historical God. Abraham had a healer. Abraham had a deliverer. Abraham had a provider. But that don't do anything for me. That's just a historical fact. But I need the God of Abraham to be my healer, my deliverer, my provider. So I got to call the God of history into the present. And when you get to crying out to God, you promised Abraham, you promised, but I need the God of Abraham to be here now. Hallelujah. Surely Amram said they're killing our babies. They're ravishing our women. They're turning our children into slaves. You are the one true living God. You have got to hear our prayer. You have got to send relief. You've got to come on the scene. He walk out into the brickyards, his back beaten, sore. He'd come in, turn away his meal, go right back up into the attic and said, God, you ain't getting rid of me. I'm knocking. You're going to answer. I'm crying out. You are God. And he begins to call the God of history into a God of reality. How many believe he's a God of reality? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He that was, that is, and is to come. Every hero of faith was a man or a woman that could call the God of history into the present. Do you know he can call, you can call God right into your kitchen? You know you can call God right into your life? And he's waiting for us to call him out of history. He is not a historical God. He is a present tense God. I am he that liveth. I'm alive forevermore. What good does the God of Pentecost do me? What good does it do me to believe in the fact of Pentecost? But I have got to call the God of Pentecost into this present to baptize me, to fill me. I've got to call him out of history. And that's exactly what Israel was doing. Brother Branham said now he's waiting anxiously for his people to call him to action. 
One who will forgive the heart of a woman committed adultery. One that could cleanse the vilest sinner. That same God of history lives. He can clean our hearts. He can come down. Listen, God remembers his promise. He remembers every promise. That's what I love when God, when they cried out to God, he remembered his promise. God wants his people to pray. And when Israel got so taxed under a condition that they could not go any further and the time was fulfilled and the burden was farther than they thought, they began to pray. And when they began to pray, God began to hear. And it was time for God's word to be fulfilled. And when the people began to pray and Israel started praying for a prophet, God had a prophet. He said, he's always a jump ahead. He has a man prepared, but he's waiting for the people to want it. He's waiting for the people to get hungry. We have a part to do. Jesus told his disciples, Look at the fields, they're white with harvest, there is no labors. You pray that the Lord of harvest will send workers into his field. Who was Jesus? He was the Lord of the harvest. He was standing right there. He's saying, you pray to me that I'll send labors. Because we have something to do. God wants us to be connected. God wants us to be uh, associated with his work. 1964, voice of the sign. When he heard their cries and heard their prayers, God was waiting on them. He had a prophet out in the wilderness. He was only waiting for his people to call him to action. And I believe he's got the same thing today. He's waiting for his church to call him on the scene so he can act. The promise today is ready. And he's got to get the people praying and groaning to bring him on the scene. This is after the opening of the seals. And when God heard their groanings, the Spirit of God began to move. And the angel of the Lord began to move. Pillars of fire began to appear. See, it is the deep that calls to the deep that brings God to action. It is the hunger in the human heart that moves the heart of God. It's the deep call that brings the results. You all know very well that you can pray, and we all pray, but there's no praying like when you're in trouble. When there's trouble, it becomes effectual fervent prayer. The Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The devil will condemn you because you're not a righteous man. But it ain't self-righteousness. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. I am a Christian. I have come under the blood. And I am praying the promises of God. Hallelujah. You love the Lord. Says Psalms 42 verse 1. As the heart pants.
panteth for the water brooks, so my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. That word thirst is a painful desire. How many desire communion with God? How many desire a prayer life with God, a walk with God? How many desire to hear his voice, to feel his power, to feel his comfort, to see his glory? My heart thirsteth for the glory of a living God, not a historical God. And when you begin to thirst, then it begins to move the very heart of the Lord. Blessed is he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall, say he shall, he shall be filled. When a person begins to hunger from the inside, God begins to move. It's almost as though two hearts are connected by a magnet. And when you're in love with God, you wrap him around you. You are wrapped around him. When you begin to pray, you begin to draw him close. How many believe that? Draw nigh unto God. He'll draw nigh unto you. But you know there are cycles for God's word to be fulfilled. When they come out of the Catholic Church under Luther's revival, you want to talk about a revival. This was almost 1,500 years that the church was under blackness, superstition, under, under the iron fist of the Roman Catholic Church. They killed 68 million Protestants through the Dark Ages. They ruled the people. And they were only pawns for the church. But when Luther withstood the Catholic church and the revelation fell upon the people that the just shall live by faith and they opened the prison doors and they started an exodus out of the Catholic church. You want to talk about happy to be free, happy to read your Bible, happy to be a Christian, happy to understand that the just lives by faith. But it's the cycle for God's word to be fulfilled. And the people were hungering for it. And when it came, they were ready to embrace the promise. They were crying to God. He sent his promise and delivered them. He sent his word and he healed them. But after a while, it all became common. And there, Luther, Luther revival became a Lutheran denomination where they took on a form of godliness but denied the power of the living God. And pretty soon they did not, they did not worship God the way they worshiped when they came out of bondage. So you know what happened? There rose up another generation of people who were hungering for more God. They were thirsting for a living God to call him out of history. And they were called the Methodist. 
And when they were so sick of form, so sick of a dead religion, so sick of dead prayers, they began to hunger. And when they began to cry, God remembered his promise, I will restore. And he sent a revelation that lifted them up out of that organization. But after a while, Wesley's group began to denominate and they took the same cycle of death. And then all of a sudden there became a hunger in the human heart at the turn of the century. They were the Pentecostal people, the original And they began to see in the scriptures that God promised a promise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they began to thirst for righteousness. You know, William Seymour was the great champion of faith in that revival. And he was so hungry for the Holy Spirit, he prayed five hours a day for two and a half years. That's, that's history. He prayed five hours a day for two and a half years straight. It was because he was hungry and he was calling on the God of history, the God of Pentecost, to be a present tense God. And he saw that the Methodist church was falling away from the standards they once believed. And as the Azusa Street Revival began to pick up, God put on his heart and pressed Seymour's heart to do more. He said, Lord, what more can I do? I'm praying five hours a day. He upped his prayer to seven hours a day. You want to talk about hungering and thirsting after God. Pretty soon the power of the Holy Spirit began to draw people with the same hunger and they packed out a little tiny house. And one particular meeting, Seymour come out, took charge of the meeting, and the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the congregation. His future wife jumped up on the piano, never had a lesson in her life, and began to play that piano by the power of Almighty God. People screamed, people spoke in tongues, and the power of God moved started what was called the Azusa Street Revival. By 1909, sorry, 1908, the the Pentecostal Revival took place in 50 different countries. By 1914, the Revival began denominating. And it set the stage for Brother Branham's ministry just 40-some years later. Because when Brother Branham got there, they believed in divine healing. They believed in the Holy Ghost. They believed in the supernatural. And the angel of the Lord visited Brother Branham in 1949. And a revival started, a healing revival that has never been seen since Jesus Christ walked the earth. But then in 1956, Brother Branham said something amazing. This is history. He said, the revival in America is over. And the man who spearheaded the greatest revival this generation has ever seen stopped in his tracks. Exactly like he said. He said, the spirit of revival is over. He said, the revival has stopped. He said, though people want to continue, he said, the healing revival is over. Next, the judgment will follow. 
And you notice immediately the revival spirit of the tent meetings. They stopped. Oral Roberts went off the field. Jack Cole, those meetings. T.L. Osborne, Brother Branham, Billy Graham, all of them, they began to go off the field. There was an instant change, 1956. And then the revival spirit began to lift off of the United States. There was a time when everybody was under the effects of the revival through the 40s and 50s and 60s. But then it began to lift and people started going to football stadiums, staying home on Wednesday night to watch television shows and people began to abandon the churches and it's still getting worse and worse and worse. There's a dead thump everywhere, even in message churches. People can't seem to pray. People don't have the joy of the Lord. And then after the seals, Brother Brandon begins to use the terminology, we have been gone beyond the Pentecostal age. Of course, what he was talking about was the restoration of gifts. Luther brought justification. Wesley brought sanctification. The Pentecostals brought the restoration of gifts. And he said, of course, we could not preach a Pentecostal message. We are plumb beyond that. It's a different message, but it's the same Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Bear with me now. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same, say same, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God that worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh the one and self-same spirit dividing to every man as severally as he will. So no matter what kind of message, what kind of manifestation, it is the Holy Ghost that is doing it to the church. Remember the Bible in the book of Revelation spoke of the seven spirits of God. Brother Branham said this is not seven gods, but it is like 1 Corinthians 12, seven manifestations of the one true spirit. There are one spirit manifested in seven different ways. Seven messages, seven messages, seven church ages, seven seats of mercy. Seven churches, seven stars, seven manifestations of the seven spirits. But every message may differ, but every spirit is the same. Seven represents redemption. How many knows Brother Branham said that? Seven is the day of redemption. There's seven seals, seven stages in the great plan of redemption. 
Seven spirits. What are he said, what are the seven spirits? St. Columba, Irenaeus, John Wesley, Martin Luther, the seven messengers to the seven churches. It was every one a diverse message, but every one was the spirit of God to the church. Each messenger kept the light burning for that age. It's the same Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit that justified the Lutherans, that sanctified the Methodists, that baptized the Pentecostals are now setting in order the coming of the Lord Jesus when that body will come into this group that will raise the rest of them from the grave. There will be a resurrection. That's what the Holy Ghost is given for. It is the same spirit. And the anointing is the anointing of an eagle. Did you notice in Revelations chapter 4, the Bible called it the swiftness of an eagle. And Brother Branham said that eagle was guarding Pentecost. It was guarding the Spirit of God. Why was it a flying eagle? Brother Branham said it was the evangelistic service that flew plumb up into the prophetic realms of this end time message. Notice Matthew was a guard. Mark was a guard. Luke was a guard. But the closest one to the book of Acts was John. The closest one that guarded Pentecost was the eagle anointing. Listen to this, Jehovah Jireh, 1961. Brother Branham said, remember, my days of an evangelist is soon done. I can't prophetic an evangelist too. I'll leave the field. That's in the spirit now. Soon he'll be calling me. I'll leave the field of evangelism and he'll use me as his senior, as seer. Then he said, what's the matter with me anyhow? And he begins to preach. He was changing his ministry from evangelism, the flying eagle, now moving up into the prophetic. It was the same spirit, but it was a word ministry. It was a different ministry altogether. Because the eagle age is the last age, the prophetic age. And how many knows that the church ages was a prophetic message? Brother Branham said, now the church ages is a prophetic message to the church. He said, Jezebel religion was a prophetic message. Countdown was a prophetic message. Sirs, is this the time? That's a prophetic message. He looked backward and forward and told us everything there was need to know. Who? He was moving now into the prophetic. Why? To call out the elected to call us out of the systems of religion because he could see it was going to end up the systems in the mark of the beast and there had to come an exodus. They said, come out of here. And he called the bride in the prophetic realm, called her out of the church into Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Why didn't the Exodus come a long time ago because the cup of the Amorites was not yet full. And Brother Branham said the prophet foresees things coming afar off. He sees the cup of God's wrath before it's filled. And he says, thus saith the Lord. He is an eagle. He looks way off to where it is. He raises way high into the spirit. It's not here yet, 
but it'll be here because he looks and sees it coming, the judgments of God coming. And he used Amos, how Amos prophesied the judgment was coming and 50 years later it fell. When the prophet speaks the vision, though it lingers, it must come to pass. It must, nothing in the world can stop it. No devil can stop it. No man can stop it. It's thus saith the Lord. So the prophet, the prophet goes up and sees the coming of Christ. He sees the judgment upon the earth. He sees where the foolish virgin land. He sees where the false church lands. He sees where the bride goes. He tells her where she came from and where she's going. It is a prophetic message. Jesus said in the days when the Son of Man is revealed and the son of man is a prophet and Malachi 4 was a prophetic message how many can say amen the son of man prophetic message listen to this he said notice as it was in the days of Lot so will it be in the coming of the son of man not the son of God son of man Back to the prophetic message for the last day when the eagle will be flying. Not the ox sacrifice age. Different message, same Holy Spirit. He said that was the sacrifice hour. Not the reformers down to the Pentecostal age because the Pentecostal age was the Reformation, third Reformation or restoration of gifts. But in the last message that went forth a flying eagle, eagle time to reveal the word of God. Oh, children, walk into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come in and believe it with all your heart. Jesus, just before the second coming, he reveals himself as the son of man. Can you say amen? amen? He said, now, he had to come as a prophet. Jehovah himself called the prophet son of man. Now he's been revealed through the church ages as the son of God. God being a spirit, the Holy Spirit, revealed himself in the church ages, in the congregation, as the Holy Spirit among the people. But then that same Holy Spirit moves into the prophetic ministry of the Son of Man, which is simply prophetic. It's simply prophet. And the Holy Ghost, Brother Branham said, the Holy Spirit is the prophet. He was the prophet in the days of Moses. He was the prophet down to the ages. He is the prophet now. And so, but the message, same spirit, but the message is a prophetic message to call the bride out. Just like he called Israel out of Egypt. God never took the Holy Ghost out of the church. Never will until Jesus comes. It is the same spirit, but a different operation. It is the same spirit, but a different message. Can you say amen? The opening of the seals 
was to turn our hearts back to Pentecost. And God will take the church right back to where she was at the beginning. It's thus saith the Lord. I want to read a few quotes to you if it's all right. Brother Branham said, now, he said, you can't get warm by a painted fire. The churches are trying to paint Pentecost, something that happened 2,000 years ago. You can't get warm by a painted fire. Pentecost is just as real today as it was then, and the fire is still falling. It's real fire. That was choosing of a bride. Brother Branham said, now, I believe that Pentecost began without an ending. I believe it's to every creature, all times, all places. Pentecost should always remain among the people. He said that in 1965. 1965 ashamed. He said, are you ashamed of the full gospel? Are you ashamed of the Pentecostal experience? Being ashamed of the word? The Pentecostal experience is the word made flesh in you. Remember the Son of Man in the first coming? He was the fullness of the Word, but he was waved before the church, and then the church became the Word. Can I go on? Mark 16 in action is the true church, and all else is false. Just before Brother Brennan went off the scene, he saw a vision of a bride and he saw the first one pass by and then he saw he saw the unrighteous and he saw the righteous and then he saw the righteous bride come again and he said she was made out of the exact same material that the first one was made out of how many believe in the Holy Spirit God in these last days in the last age there will be a group raised up the true bride of the last day, she will listen to the Spirit. In that day of gross darkness, the light will return by the pure word and will return to the power of Pentecost to welcome back the Lord Jesus. Who? 1965, what house will you build me? We're a group of people, we have a message. God has given us a message. Like you, I am so hungry to see the Spirit of God moving. I just can't hardly stand it. Some experiences I had up on the mountain to feel it once again. Something that I, when I was first saved, he said it was glorious to our heart. Turn with me in the Bible, if you will, to Psalms chapter 63. Psalm 63, 1. Psalm 63, verse 1. O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. You know, that's early in my youth. I will seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry 
and thirsty land where no water is. That's this evil age. The prophet of God said, that's this age. To see thy power and thy glory as I have seen in thy sanctuary. In other words, he said, Lord, I thirst to see you like the old time meetings when the glory of God poured out upon the people. I long to see you like I've seen you in the healing campaigns, in the old Azusas, in the revivals through the ages. I long to see you, Lord. I'm thirsting for the old time, for the old time blessing, to see it like the old days. And Brother Branham said, now, he said, you sh- when you're thirsting for righteousness, he said, you should thirst until it fills your every fiber. You need to thirst until the Holy Spirit is ringing in your soul. And you should thirst until something takes place in your life, life that brings satisfaction. How many are thirsting for more God? Luther thirsted for more God. Wesley thirsted for more God. Pentecost thirsted for more God. And I believe with all my heart we should be thirsting for God to fulfill his word in this age. How many knows this age is the one that will take the body change? This is the age that will take the rapture. And he said this, an Easter seal. He said, notice, pray all night. I don't care what it is. He said, do what God called you to do. They say we can't have an old-fashioned Pentecostal revival. Yes, we can too. You can have it in yourself. You are the majority in God. We'll never have a nationwide revival, but every one of us have a right to the fullness of Pentecost in our homes, in our church, and in our life. Every one of us, the fullness of the blessing of God. How long do we cry? We cry until we get what we ask for. How long does a baby cry? Until. How many have needs in their life? Say, Lord, I I need something in my life. How long do we cry for it? Until we experience it, until you call that God into your present life. Can you say amen? How many knows this message will introduce Jesus Christ to the earth? Just a few more moments, if you will. Brother Branham said this, and once more. He said, once more, Lord. We better be hollering right now, crying, once more, Lord. Let, we're at the end of the world. Let your strength fill every fiber. He said, I'm urged to do this. These people are hungering. They're thirsting. I've wanted to see it happen. And maybe it will. Once, Lord, one more time, Lord, a great move of the Spirit. And may the church receive a rapturing faith to go in. Indictment, he said, may there come forth a revival of the just. A great power that will come to the church just before it's going. It's not hard to pray because you promised it. And we're looking, Lord, for that third pole, and we'll know it'll do great things in our midst. 
After the seal's token, he said, I'm looking for a time to break forth of the Spirit of God in these last days for another surge of the Holy Spirit into the church for the rapturing faith before it goes. He goes, and everything is setting right in order for it, and the word should have preeminence. 1963, the world has fallen apart. The church is ready. She's sealed in. And there will come a big outpouring of the Spirit and grab that church and take her into the skies. 1963, three kinds of believers. He said, that's the reason I believe the bride is called out and elected and there will come a sound from heaven with such a baptism of the Holy Ghost. It'll take the bride off the earth. 1963, he said, I believe that the bride is called I believe that she is sealed. The kingdom of God. I believe the mechanics is there. They're waiting for the dynamics that will take her off the earth in the rapture. He is the dynamics. The dynamics of the church will be a refilling of the Holy Spirit. What we have worked in small measure while the headstone is coming down with the body. And when the head and the body unite together, the full power of the Holy Ghost will raise her up. Even the dead that's dead in Christ for hundreds Hundreds of years will rise in the beauty of holiness and take her flight into the skies. The dynamics is the Holy Spirit. Who? 1964. He said, Listen, Satan's big machine is ready. But remember, God's little flock believes the word, its mechanics is ready too. It's ready for the dynamics to set it on fire with the Holy Ghost. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good will to give you the kingdom. The Holy Ghost will strike this little church, and they'll come out of the world. Now we find out the little flock is ready for the dynamics to move it up into the skies and escape the tribulation. Desperations, I believe, were on the verge of one of the mightiest things that ever struck the earth since the Lord Jesus 1965, and knoweth it not, the hour is close at hand when you're going to see something happen and all this background is laying a foundation for a short, quick message that'll shake the nations. Communion, 1965, the hour will soon arrive when the Holy Spirit will speak out like it did in Ananias and Sapphira. The hour is arriving. Remember, God is going to dwell in his people and that's what he wants to do now. We could just go on and on. These are just a few, and these that I'm reading to you are after the seals all the way to the end of the message. What are you saying? Brother Branham never lost his hunger. He never quit preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost even though he was in the Son of Man ministry because the Son of Man ministry was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's exactly right. It was prophetic. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. How many knows we have the opportunity to receive his fullness? How many knows we're in the Exodus? And that we have had a wave sheaf of the word over the people saying there's more coming just like it. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to raise the dead that have been laying in the grave for seven church ages. It is going to take the Holy Spirit to overcome Satan in in this Eden. And right now, God has never changed his program. 
You must be born again by the Spirit of the living God. You must be born again with the token over your life. You must know him in the power of the resurrection. There has never been a day that we should preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost like we do now. Because all the counterfeits and all of that has been exposed. And now the door is open into the ark. And we know God's program. We know God's promise. And we ought to be praying, God, don't let me miss it when you have given me every reason to receive it. We have a camp that's coming up. And it's not just for young people. It's for all of us to feel the glory of God move among his people. We believe in the Pentecostal experience. We believe in the full gospel. We believe in the power of the resurrection. And God is saying, call me. Plead the promises of the Lord. How many want more of the Holy Spirit? Even your prophet is crying, oh, I'm longing for another revival. I'm longing for it. It's for us. How many say, Lord, I want to see the greatest camp meeting that we have ever witnessed in all of our life? How many say, Lord, I want to believe higher than I've ever believed. I want to hold to your word. All of all of the doubts, I'm casting them down. And I'm going to meet in business at this meeting. I want my family to receive the Holy Ghost. I want a renewal of the Holy Ghost. I need a fresh outpouring. I want to see your glory until the minister can't even minister in the tabernacle. Are we believers? I've served the Lord for 20-some years. I've seen God raise the dead. I've seen the power of God. But I am so hungry to see God's glory reigning over the people of God. I'm so thirsty to get a fresh drink of Pentecostal water. I say we ought to draw our swords and cut down devils of unbelief and bring our Lord a fresh drink of Pentecostal water. Brother Benham said, who will stand with me? Who will stand with me and draw your sword and guard the Pentecostal blessing? We are guards of the mercy seat. We are guards of the Pentecostal blessing. We are under the eagle anointing. And we see the promises very clearly. We see the promised land we got eagle eyes I see the Holy Ghost I see it's in our possession I see the way is clear I'm going to say Lord give me eagle eyes let me see your promise let me set my affection on you I see that the promise is just ahead of us and I'm crying Lord fulfill your word this is the promise. Fulfill it, Lord God. He's going to have someone. He's going to have an Amram. He's going to have a Jochebed. He's going to have someone. Lord, and call him out of history. Call him out of 1963. Call him out of the healing revivals. I thank God for the healing revivals. But that was only one manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about body change. We 
can't preach a Pentecostal message. It's a different message, but it's the same blessing, only more power. God wants to live in his people. How many say, Lord, I want to sanctify myself. I want to set aside my time and I want to pray like Amram prayed. I want to look to your word and not just coast like the world is coasting. But I'm going to call, cry out. Remember your promise, Lord. Live in your people. Fill your people. Give me eagle eyes, Lord. Baptize that, that camp meeting. Anoint the preacher. Anoint the people. May angels of God appear. May the Holy Spirit manifest himself. God, may you begin to move. A mighty army. An invincible army. Rising to our feet. The word made flesh. The son of man. I have come down. I have come down to deliver my people. Let my people go. Let my people go. Turn them loose, Satan. We're not looking for some sort of denominational counterfeit. We are looking for the word made flesh, the word of the hour. We know what he wants done with the word. There's been all kinds of isms pop up, but she has thus saith the Lord, or she sits still. One after the other, she sits still. She's waiting on him. But as soon as he moves, she moves with him. How many say, Lord, my soul thirsteth for a living God to see thee as I have seen you in the, in the healing campaigns, as I have seen you down in Azusa, down in the Welsh revival, down through the ages. I want to see you here, and I'm calling you out of history. I ain't coming passively. I mean business. I'm sick of doubting my experience. I'm sick of living under my God-given privileges. Lord, I'm going to call you out of history. I'm going to say, yes, I want to unite with that vision. This is the vision of the eagle hour. God is calling us out of the systems that will take on the form of the mark of the beast. He showed us things to come. He called us out. And now he's calling us into a body change, into another dimension, into a faster dimension, into the presence of Almighty God. I have heard the cries of my people. Why? They were crying the will of God. Come, Lord Jesus. Ain't that what John said? When John, with his eagle eyes, saw the whole plan of redemption, his last words was, come, Lord Jesus. Come into this meeting. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Come into this church. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. He wasn't afraid. He began to hunger. This prophecy should not make you afraid. It should make you hunger. Come. Come. 
as you musicians will come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, come, take your bride away. How my soul longs to be. Come.